and welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come, Follow Me uh, outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and where we strive to do our best to become more dedicated disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. I hope that you're having a wonderful, that you had a wonderful weekend, uh, that you had a good chance on the Sabbath to rest from your labors and to come closer to the Lord. I hope that uh, it was a wonderful and somewhat relaxing time for you. Um, it, it's, it was a, a fun weekend for myself. Uh, I hope that you also had a chance to study the the chapters that we didn't get to, um, as they were really good. I especially, if you didn't get a chance to study um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, I would definitely encourage that one. I honestly even uh, contemplated whether or not I should come back to chapter 7 and have that be our, our study for today. But um, I figured it'd be best that we let you study that. Um, and as always, check out the New Testament student manual as it does have some very good insights um, in relation to all of what we're reading, but especially chapter 7. Anyways, but today we're going to be jumping into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, and before we do that, let's go ahead and start, as usual, with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee so very much for this wonderful day that thou hast given unto us. Father, we thank thee for thy patience and thy long suffering with us. We ask thee, Father, to please continue to be with us and to please bless us with thy spirit. Help us to know in what ways we can improve ourselves and in what ways we can improve the lives of others around us. Help us to keep our keep our eyes single to the glory of God. And we pray for these things ever so humbly, Father, in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So as I said, we are going to be um we're going to first be in well, I guess we're going to be in uh First Corinthians chapter eight. We might delve into chapter nine a little bit, but we'll see because uh, chapter eight is a little bit shorter. Well, let's just go ahead and jump in, and we'll see where we go. All right. So First Corinthians chapter eight, verse one. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity charity edifieth. And if any man thinketh that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is the same is known of him. As concerning therefore eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For there are for there be sorry, for there for though there be though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but unto but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him and one and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Alright, so luckily the New Testament manual has something in regards to that, because that is kind of confusing to me a little bit. Um <clears throat> so under Lord's many, the New Testament manual says that the prophet Joseph Smith commented on Paul's statements in in 1 Corinthians 8, 5-6. He says, quote, I have always declared God to be a distinct personage, Jesus Christ a separate and distinct personage from God the Father, and that the Holy Ghost 
was a distinct personage and a spirit, and these three constitute three distinct personages and three gods. Some say I do not interpret Paul's teachings in 1 Corinthians 8.5 the same as they do. They say it means the heathen's gods. Paul says that there are gods many and lords many, and that it makes a plurality of gods. I have a witness of the Holy Ghost and a testimony that Paul had no allusion to the heathen gods in the text. So, um, what we then are to understand by this is that though there be though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, for though as there are as there are be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God. The Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and the one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So, Paul is trying to drive home the fact that though there be a multitude of, dif of differing gods of various stature and status in, in, in the eternities, there, there is but one Godhead to whom we are answerable to. There's only the one that we are accountable to, and they also, in turn, by our covenants, are accountable to us. So he, he, he lays out this, this knowledge. And then going on in verse 7, Howbeit there is not in every man the, that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol, Unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat condemneth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which hast, which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat take my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Alright, that is Corinthians 8, um, but there is another section that it talks about about Paul's counsel about uh sorry the the New Testament manual talks about um Paul's counsel about meat used in pagan sacrifices it says in Paul's day some of the meat sold in the markets of Corinth and other cities had been butchered as offerings or dedications to pagan deities faithful Jews would have felt that the law of Moses prohibited them from partaking of this meat however from Paul's words it appears that some Christians did not feel restricted from eating it Elder Bruce R. McConkie of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles discussed Paul's response to this issue, saying, quote, The Corinthians had asked Paul for counsel about eating meat, sacrificed by pagan people to their idols. He replies that in theory it is completely immaterial whether the saints eat such meat or not, because idols are not true gods, and there is actually no religious significance in the pseudo-sacrifices one way or the other. But he reasons in practice it may be wise not to eat this meat, since such a course might cause those who are weak in the faith to assume there was virtue and benefit in the sacrifices themselves, and therefore to be led astray. 
For Paul to, uh, close quote, uh, it continues on, for Paul, the greater concern was to avoid doing anything that might, be, might weaken the faith of others, unintentionally leading them to, into sin. So, <clears throat> this is one one area that I think is, is kind of interesting to me personally. Um, this was a discussion that my, my wife and I were actually having at night about um, the the new strength of youth standards, the the new, you know, for the strength of youth standard that, that's come out recently. And we were discussing about, you know, do we like it? Do we not like it? Why, why you know, for what? And I, I was explaining that I, <clears throat> I can understand why some people might not like it. Because it does feel like a, a, a loosening or a, a laxening of, of the rules of the laws. But I was telling my wife, you know, as we've been discussing on this podcast, I don't think it's a relaxing of the laws so much as it is, the, you know, an attempt to say, let's remove ourselves from the law of Moses and focus on Christ, focus on what's truly important. Now, that is, I believe, the direction that we are going as a church is to, you know, to try and re- separate the gospel, you know, the, the Lord from the law. And to see that the the Lord is more important than the law himself, that that personal relationship is more important, and in oftentimes it's more difficult to live that way than it is to simply lay you know to lean against the law and use it as a crutch. And so I think what's happening here as well is Paul saying, "Look, you know, <clears throat> the law of Moses would say, yeah, you shouldn't eat this.'" But the truth is, it doesn't matter if you eat this. The law is there is simply as a as a guide as a guidepost in this in this effort. And so, in some respects, sure, yeah, continue to live the the letter of the law in this sense because it will help others to not fall away from the faith. But in reality, there is no true spiritual reason for yourself why you couldn't. And I think that sometimes we get caught up with the policies and the church policies and different things like that that aren't necessarily doctrinal, that aren't necessarily eternal, um, that can oftentimes lead people into struggling struggles with the church. And at the same, you know, in one way, I, I want to say, don't let the policies become something that keep you from the gospel. But at the same time, don't flaunt the policies in an effort to prove your superiority in such a way that it becomes detrimental to others' spiritual development. We must be aware, and that, that, that goes back to the whole, why are we, why are we doing it? Are we, are we simply stepping away from the law of Moses in an effort to say, look, there's no more law, there's no more rules, I can do whatever I want. Are we looking at the for strength of youth pamphlet and saying, well, it doesn't say anything anymore about how many piercings I can have. So that must mean I can have as many piercings as I want. Well, the question you should be asking is, why do I want piercings? Why do I want to have seven piercings in my ear or a piercing in my nose or a piercing in my belly button or who knows where else? Why do I want that? Is it to increase my attractiveness to the men of the world? Is it to seem rough and edgy and unique? Or are there other reasons? 
And that should be the reason there. I think Paul is trying to point out to the to the Corinthians is saying, it's not wrong to eat this. But if you're if you're if you're explicitly going out to buy this meat in an effort to show and say, look, I can do whatever I want. It's not it's not gonna it doesn't hurt me. It's actually it's good. This is good meat. Then you begin to cause some people to to waver and say, well, I guess the rules aren't quite as hard and fast as I once thought. The rules were originally placed as safeguards, and now we're we you know we have just we're we know that the rules are they're there for a reason, sure, but they they're not the end all be all. We should be having this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It should not become. It's a tricky topic. It's a very tricky topic. Because you look at something like the law of chastity. That's a hard and fast rule. That I'm fairly confident in saying I doubt will ever change. There should be no sexual activity between or no sexual goings on except within the bounds of a marriage between a man and a woman in the, in, under the law of God, according to the law of God. Now, what constitutes sexual goings-ons and things like that? It shouldn't be that big of an issue. You should be able to quickly and distinctively cite those things out. But then you get into like, well, the word of wisdom says not to eat meat all that often, so should I become a vegan? Well, Paul talks about that. He talks about it explicitly right there at the end when he says, uh, But meat condemneth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. He's explaining it doesn't matter. If you, if you eat the meat, it's not making you better. And if you don't eat, that doesn't mean make you a bad person either. That that's not up to to the general populace. That's up. That's between you and the Lord. And that's that's where I think we're trying to get as a church at right now at the moment, where the where the where the brethren are trying to lead us, are they're trying to say you cannot rely so heavily upon the handbooks, you should not rely so heavily upon the outlines of preach my gospel or the outlines of of for the strength of youth or you know the general handbook this should be dealt with through the gift of revelation but the trick of it is that is the harder and higher law that's harder that's more difficult to 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 live by than it is to lean on the law I think one thing that we will find as we strive to become a more Christ-like people, we will find that living by the the old law in the church, the hard and fast rules, those laws of no rated R movies, no playing cards, no, you know, none of those, those hard and fast rules, you know, no beards, no, no, any of these types of things, avoid the appearance of evil, these different things that, as we not necessarily throw them away, but as we try to become more Christ-like and to grow beyond the needs for these training wheels, we will discover that it's much more difficult 
But as we grow into it, we will discover a greater wellspring of spirituality. All right, let's jump over to chapter nine for a little bit. We've got we've got time, and I'm just blathering on. Let's get back into the scriptures. So, First Corinthians chapter nine, verse one: Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not my are ye are not ye my work in the Lord? If I not if I be not an apostle unto others, ye doubtless I am yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in for yeah, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord in in Cephas? Or I only in or I only and Barabbas have not we the power to forbear working? We go we goeth a wayfare any time at his own charges. Who goeth sorry, who goeth a wayfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth thereof the fruit and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or say or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of an, of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of for oxen? Or saith he or say or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of this hope of his hope. If we have sown unto unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall reap. Is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar? Even so saith the Lord ordained, even so saith the Lord, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things that it should be done that it should be so done unto me. For it were it were better for me to die than any man should make my glory void. For though I preach the gospel I have nothing to glory of, for for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. All right, so Paul is is going through and discussing how he is, as an apostle, he is bound to preach the gospel. And that that is his, his joy and his glory, is to preach the gospel and to see that see the, 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 the Corinthians removed from their sin. As we continue onward, um, in verse 18, And what is my reward then? Verily that, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ, I may, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free of, from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto Jews I became as a Jew, that I might that I might gain the Jews, 
to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made I am made I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. So under the heading of I am made all things to all men, the New Testament student manual says Paul was committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with all people, regardless of whether they were Jews or Gentiles, and he willingly adapted his behavior in order to minister more effectively to people from various cultural backgrounds. His allegiance was not was not to any culture or country, but to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Referring to this passage, Elder Bruce Armaconkey explained that quote, Paul here says he, he made himself all things to all men in an effort to get them to accept the gospel message. That is, he adapted himself to the conditions and circumstances of all classes of people as a means of getting them to pay attention to his teachings and testimony. And then, lest any suppose this included the acceptance of their false doctrines or practices, or that it that it in any way involved a compromise between the gospel and false systems of worship, he hastened to add that he and all men must obey the gospel law to be saved. So that is one thing that I think is important to to realize, is that God is God is very welcoming of the, the diverse natures and cultures and backgrounds that we all might share, that we all have, and we, that differentiate one from another. But there is a line in the gospel where we, wherewith we must become reconciled in order that we might be saved, that we might come into the fullness of the gospel. We cannot just say, well, this is my culture, this is how my people live, this is what we do, and expect the Lord to allow that to happen. There are things in all cultures that are not acceptable within the gospel. There are things within the American culture. There are things within within Utah culture. There are things within the various cultures and societies, groups and cliques that are that fall outside of the bounds of the gospel that we must be willing to let go of if we're going to be saved in the last days. That is what Paul is trying to say. We should be willing to accept differences of others and we should be willing to learn the other cultures and means and change you know, the differences. We should revel in those things. But we must understand that the law of God comes before all more particularly the law of Christ. We must remember that. Let's finish this out. Verse 24. Know ye not that, that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. This last little section in the New Testament student manual says that Greeks and Romans placed a great importance on athletic contests. The ancient Olympic Games were highly anticipated every four years throughout the Mediterranean area. In Corinth, the Isthmian Isthmian games were held every two years. Athletes competed for honor and for the winner's crown, made of natural olive, laurel, or pine branches. 
When Paul, when Paul pointed out that athletes were temperate in all things, he was probably alluding to the strict diets and training regimens that athletes adopted as they trained for competition. Paul suggested that followers of Jesus Christ should strive for victory in a similar manner, working to overcome temptation and achieve spiritual self-mastery. Saints run a race not against others, but against sin and the challenges of mortal life. And the reward is not a corruptible or perishable crown, but the crown of eternal life that lasts forever. Brothers and sisters, that is where we are. We are in a race against ourselves. We are in a race, in a, in a, in a wrestle against the flesh. To see if we can subject ourselves. To see if we can gain, gain the upper hand and to enjoy the blessings of eternity. I pray that we will press forward and continue on the path to achieve those things. I pray that as we press forward, as we continue to study, that the Lord will grant us His Spirit, that we might be able to be, that we might come off the conqueror, that we might find in the last days the blessings and the peace of eternal life. I pray that we will find those blessings in this life, the blessing of peace and joy in the gospel, which I know we can achieve if we will strive wholeheartedly after Christ. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.